about that, guys. Uh, hey, good morning. My name is uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the elders here at uh, uh, Pillar Church of Jacksonville. I'm uh, very glad to be worshiping here with you guys uh, on this Lord's Day. Uh, if you happen to have your Bibles, uh, please join me in Judges. We're going to be continuing our series. Um, we'll be in chapters 17 through 18 today. If you're using one of the uh, provided Bibles that's under one of your chairs, we'll be on page uh, 202. Give you guys a moment to get there. All right, so we are moving uh, right along uh, in our sermon series in the book of Judges. Uh, if you've been with us in this series, um, I'm sure by now you've, you've come to realize that Israel, the people of Israel continue in that, that downward spiral and that constant state of rebellion against God. Uh, and if I'm being totally honest with you, and I think Brian had alluded to it in the beginning of, of today's uh, worship service, uh, it can be quite depressing to continuously read the same thing over and over again um, with, the, with a different judge who's appointed, another military campaign that's happening, some more bloodshed, Israel falling deeper and deeper into uh, their state of sin and their state of spiritual uh, decline. The only difference is being who the tribe is, the region that's happening at in Israel, and the judge who happens to be exercising influence uh, at that time. Hold fast, all right? Uh, today's text isn't exactly uh, a rose garden either, so I don't want to um, get your guys' hopes up on there as well. So, but Larry, if you can, can you bring up that map for me? All right, if you guys turn around, you might be able to see it better up there. The biggest thing I want to take away from this is we've now ended uh, the period of time where there's no more judges that are going to be appointed over Israel. So if you look in the top left corner there, it's got a green circle and a, a white rectangle. The white rectangles that are over uh, Israel at this time, those show who the 12 judges were and how spread out they were over the entire nation of Israel at that time. This is how my mind works. I like geography. I like to know. It brings me up to speed of where we currently are. I hope this helps you guys as well. Um, but it's giving perspective on, hey, as we're reading this narrative, it's not just happening in one place. Yes, one nation in Israel, but not one place specific. Multiple places throughout the nation of Israel at that time. You're going to see in the text today that we're in the hill country of Ephraim, which is in the middle of, of Israel itself. And you're going to see there's, uh, you guys probably can't read it, but there's a country there, I'm sorry, a, a, a small city named Shiloh. And that is the location of the current tabernacle of where God, um, I'm sorry, where they will be worshiping God. Um, so, as you guys see um, through the text this week, um, they're going to talk about uh, Ephraim and, and Shiloh. So last week we ended uh, with the story of Samson. Uh, he was the judge appointed by God uh, to give Israel preservation against their enemies. Samson was the 12th and the final judge appointed in the book. People of Israel had continued, and they do continue, to be disobedient. They continue to be idolatrous. And 
the thorn in which God spoke about back in chapter 2 continuously strikes them. While today's text doesn't specifically reveal any new oppression coming to uh, the nation of Israel or any appointment of any new judge, we will continue to see the rebellion uh, and the, in the form of religious corruption. One author states uh, that this particular section of Scripture, chapter 17 and 18, that will be in today, is so crazy a story. So mixed up that we too, as Christians, should be almost embarrassed by it. Even the author of the book of Judges is embarrassed by it. And I hope you guys notice that as we read through it. We will see that he finds it nearly impossible now and again to go on with his historical account of Micah and the Danites. We will see apostasy at its finest and a nation that is continuing in their downward spiral, especially as they continue to wait for this particular king, a king that would uphold God's covenant standards and put a stop to such corruption. You guys remember from back in the beginning, the overall main idea for uh, the book of Judges is this. In the midst of our sinful idolatry, Trust God's covenant faithfulness for our redemption. I'll say that again. In the midst of our sinful idolatry, trust God's covenant faithfulness for our redemption. On top of that, I don't have some new main idea, but I do have quite a few questions to ask you guys before we actually get into the reading of today's text. I want you to think of what the implications are when we, like in the text today, if we mix practices contrary to what God's word says about how we are, how we are to conduct worship. What are the implications of that? I want you to think about what are some of the idols that are currently in my life, in your life, today? As you walk through those doors. Are they leading me. Personally. Are they leading me and my family. Into our own religious corruption. And then how. Do I turn. From these idols. That are in my life. If you guys would join me. We'll start uh, reading today's text. In chapter 17. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. And now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. 
and it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and household gods, and ordained one of his sons, and who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. And I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance came among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtel, to spy out, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. And, they were, and when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. And they, and they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What is your business here? And he said to them, This is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God. Please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. When the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtel, their brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise and let us go up against them. For we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to, the unsuspecting, to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. A place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtael and went up and encamped in Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this, account, that, on this account, that place is called Mahane Dan. To this day, behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim 
And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to the scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, Do you know in these houses there is an ephod, household gods, a carved image and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image. While the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. When these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, the metal image, the priest said to them, what are you doing? And they said to him, keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth and come with us. Be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be a priest to the tribe of a clan, and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image, and went along with the people. So they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. And when they had gone the distance from the home of Micah, and, went, and the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out. And they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, What is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I, made the, that I made and the priest and go away and what have I left? How then do you ask me what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish, to a people quiet and unsuspecting, struck them with the edge of the sword, and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. They, then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites, the Danites, until the day of captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he had made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Would you guys join me in prayer? Father, uh, thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, even uh, these two chapters that we just read through, uh, Lord, as uh, one author had put it, uh, the embarrassment that has taken uh, toil amongst the nation of Israel, Lord, uh, we just, I lament over that. But Lord, I pray that it would help our hearts uh, to understand uh, the King that Jesus Christ is, the King that came to uh, save those who would place their faith in him, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just help me to, uh, to illuminate your word uh, this day, Lord, uh, correctly and rightly. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So there's a few questions that I had asked before I got into the text. Uh, as I'm sure you can see with uh, the text itself, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And uh, it's just there's such depravity that is going on in the nation of Israel. Uh, we even saw that when there was judges appointed. Now there is no judge. There's really no oppression going on and it's still happening. So my question uh, for you at, to think about as we go through this first chapter now is, what effect does idolatry have in our private worship? What effect does idolatry have in our private worship? So we're in the part of the narrative where we're introduced to a man named Micah. Micah comes again, as it says, from the hill country of Ephraim, central part of Israel at that time. This man whose actions would not just prove dire to him and his household uh, would prove dire to an entire tribe in Israel, specifically the Danites. Just grasp this with me for a second. Having stolen 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother, he admits this to her. He admits that he took it. She willingly restores the silver back to his mother. And somehow, some way, she blesses him for that. That's puzzling to me. I hope it is to you as well. His mother looked to reverse the curse that Micah had mentioned in there uh, as he's telling her that he had stolen this and to replace it with a fresh new blessing, followed by taking 200 pieces of that silver to be used to make a carved and metal image that would be used for worship contrary to God's commands. We don't have to go back too far to realize that hopefully you are familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, that Israel was given back uh, from God to Moses to the nation of Israel, specifically in Exodus 20 and verse 4. And I'll read it here real quick. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That is from the law given to the nation of Israel. Later on again in Deuteronomy, as Moses talks in chapter 27, verses 9 through 10, and specifically in, in verse 15 as well, he would say again to the nation of Israel, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. As we move forward to verse 15, stated, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. An abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Not only do we see that he has crafted or gotten crafted by a silversmith these carved images. Everything contrary to God's word in these first couple of verses. He's also stolen. Gotten the silversmith to make a few carved images. Made an entire shrine 
and even ordained one of his own sons, all of which are practices unacceptable to God. While it may seem at first glance, and I hope that you all, as you read through, you may have thought, hey, he's actually, he's got some zealous. He's got some zealous for the Lord. Kill that very quickly. He, yes, uh, may be set on a course for religious faith, but Mike is actually resting under the judgment of God for what he's doing. Don't miss what the author writes in verse 6. I find it interesting that he puts it halfway through chapter 17. Because he states, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's as if whoever the author is of this, we do not know who the author is of Judges. It's as if the author is so utterly outraged and embarrassed as he's penning this of the religious corruption of Micah and his household. Why? Because he probably is. There's no recording in this scripture that in fact the Lord was with the household of Micah. In God's providence, yes. But the Lord does not agree with what Micah is doing in his household at all. Even though the name of the Lord comes off of his lips. Nevertheless, if you thought things were looking bad in these first three, uh, first six verses, you'd be correct. But things happen to get worse. Remember, Micah had already taken it upon himself to ordain one of his own sons. That's a practice set apart uh, for uh, the, the Levites. So a Levite happens to be sojourning from, who is from uh, the tribe of Judah, and from the people who had, uh, sorry, the Levites who had been set apart from the rest of Israel to be the priests of Israel. I want you to, to, to think, though, that though they had been set apart to be the priests in Israel, that does not mean that every Levite is a priest or is going to be a priest. This Levite was sojourning in Ephraim where Micah and his household lived. Micah happens to greet the Levite. And little did the Levite know that he had just made Micah's day, as you guys can tell. He entreats the Levite. He says, stay with me to be both a father and a priest. Oh, and by the way, I will provide you room and board, clothing, and I'll pay you ten pieces of silver a year. Seems enticing. So what's he do? He obliges. He is very content to dwell with Micah and his household. I can only imagine uh, what Micah's son, who had been previously ordained, is thinking now, now that he had uh, he'd been replaced by a legit Levite. Um, but again, that just goes to show back in verse 6 that Micah, like the rest of Israel, is doing what is right in his own eyes. In his mind, he now believes that the Lord will prosper him because he has a Levite as a priest. So what does all this mean for us today? So, well, as we, as 21st century Christians, as we seek to walk in obedience to the Lord, uh, we're all in the midst of our sanctification. As you sit there today as a Christian, whether you believe it or not, you are in the midst of your sanctification. And each of our individual walks uh, with the Lord look different. 
what I mean, some are slower, some are progressive, and uh, some are very quick as well, and that is in the realm of spiritual maturity. But in the midst of that, we continue to fight sin daily. Uh, we are always uh, looking to turn from any sin that pops up in our lives. One thing we may be tempted to do tempted to do is to add something into our own private worship with the Lord. Trust me, we come across enough distractions in our daily walk. From the time you woke up this morning, to whatever time that was, to the time that you walked into those back doors here to come and worship here on a Sunday morning, I am sure there has been plenty of distractions. Those with children, I can almost guarantee because I have children of my own, so there's plenty of distractions to go around. When this happens, I don't know about you, it becomes apparent in my own personal life. You know, these idols, I asked that question back in the beginning. What are the effects of idolatry in our own private worship? Well, when you love this thing, put X, Y, and Z right there. When you love this thing more than you love the Lord, that is going to be brought into your personal time with the Lord, whether you like it or not. Why? Because you're placing it before the Lord. You're loving it more than the Lord. Let me first say, as I was, this affects, this pulls me away from true and right worship with them. Let me first say, well, I don't think that any of you sitting out there right now actually have some shrine set up in your house, some carved image set up in your house. Uh, I would, you know, I, I'm assuming that right now. But idols come in, in many forms, right? Unfortunately, they come in many forms. If you're married, it could be your husband or your wife. If you have kids, believe it or not, it could be your kids. It's football. It could be football for me. I loved football growing up, um, and I used to obsess about it. And now the Lord has sanctified me in that, and I tell you, I couldn't tell you the last time I sat and watched a football game. I'm not down to anybody that likes football or sports. That's just something that was in my life as an idol, and now I have uh, repented of that and turned away from it. But anything that pulls you away from the truths of God's Word and distracts your heart from treasuring the Lord. We would do well to not be so quick to say, I'm not Micah. Well, I truly hope that you're not like Micah in this. This is a person that we do not want to emulate. Or I'm not the Danites. Because even we who worship Christ, we have our own struggles. True faith in Christ is not something that we can mold or shape into how we want it. We cannot bring these idols into our own worship and practices with the Lord, our private time with the Lord, and mold and shape them to somehow make it better. Worship Him, who is the true King and the final Savior. Guard against the evil schemes of Satan. Give up your fleshly desires and submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. Oddly enough, today's scripture reading was also today's reading that Brian did in the beginning of the sermon. No, we did not plan that. It just happened to be that way. Because the book of Judges, again, is so depressing, we wanted to bring uh, our King and our Savior into this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn 
of all creation. Worship him. Worship him who through all things were created for. By him, through him, and for him. As we go into chapter 18, I want you to think of this question. I have a question for you as, as, we, as we go through it. I asked you what effect idolatry had in your own private worship. So what effect does idolatry have in congregational worship? What effect does idolatry have in congregational worship? The author starts out chapter 18 like he started back in uh, chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. I think the expression adding fuel to the fire fits pretty well in this narrative at this point because we're about to see the acts of one man in his household and it, we're about to see it spread to an entire tribe in Israel. So what started as religious corruption of an entire, uh, I'm sorry, what started as religious corruption in the confines of Micah's four walls of his household will soon be spread to the religious corruption of an entire tribe of Israel. On the prowl for an inheritance of land, the people from the tribe of Dan sent in five able men to spy out some land and explore it. We've heard that term, spy out the land. That's a familiar phrase among the nation of Israel because we saw in Joshua as well. However, in this particular section of Scripture, I don't believe they will be inheriting a land that flows with milk and honey. Instead, first they will stumble upon the household of Micah questioned the Levite whom he had hired and asked the Levite to inquire of God. The Levite responds quickly by saying, the journey of which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Under, while, this, while they enter into this thing, is, the, is under the entire provision of the Lord. It's hardly a matter that is going to be approved by the Lord. So do not get pulled into uh, exactly what the, Dan the Danites are thinking by asking this Levite that their, their journey is in fact going to be under the eye of the Lord. Everything under, is under the provision of the Lord. However, this is nearly a matter that is not approved by the Lord. And as these five men return and report that the land they will occupy is given to them by God, they also report who they talked to and what they say, what they saw in the household of Micah, a.k.a. his shrine, his carved images, that he had a Levite as a priest. So on their way to occupy the land of Laish, now not with five men, but with another 600 men, they make a stop at the household of Michael, Micah. Like the text states, they are armed with weapons of war. Wasting no time at all, the five men who had originally spied out the land entered into Micah's home and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal images. A bit confused and possibly concerned, the Levite questions these men and asks them, he says, what are you doing? This is where the Levite is prompted to leave his duties because the Danites say, hey, it's better to become a priest to an entire tribe and clan in Israel as opposed just to be a priest to one man in his household. No response, but a description of a heart that is filled with gladness. Talking about the Levite. The Levite obliges and he goes right along with the tribe and 
man. In response to this, Micah calls his neighboring men, and they pursue the 600 men who are armed for war. As they approach them, the Danites ask Micah, said, what's the matter with you that my carved images and my priest, I'm sorry, what's the matter with you that you come with such a company? Puzzled, he responds with you. He says, you just took my carved images. He took my priests. How on earth is it that you're going to ask me what the matter with me is? I want you to take a second. I want you to just to realize if there was to be a tone applied to this text right here, it's simply irony. Because what, what Micah originally took from his mother, returned to his mother, was given to a silversmith, 200 pieces to make carved images, dedicated a shrine, got him, ordained his son, got himself a Levite, ordained the Levite, and then here come the Danites, and they take everything from Micah's household. There's just way too much irony in that. As a show of force and the threat to Micah and his men, the Danites tell him to stand down unless you want, to fall, want us to fall upon you and you and your household lose your life. So what's Micah do? Micah stands down. The campaign of the Danites continue, and they strike down the people of Laish and set up for themselves the carved image and made for themselves more priests the Danites' worship of these false idols went on for as long as the true house of God, the tabernacle, remained in Shiloh. So again, my question was, uh, what effects does idolatry have on congregational worship? So, well, first, I'll talk about myself as the preacher or the pastor. Uh, we could definitely idolize our ministry. Uh, meaning we're always looking at what we have to say or what we have to do more than what the Word of God has. Believe it or not, there's pastors that stand in the pulpit, don't even have the Word of God, and claim to be proclaiming the Word of God to the people of God. This is contrary to what God has called the pastor to do and what His Word tells us that we should be doing. I had previously mentioned about the private worship. Well, that private worship, whether you believe it or not, feeds into this Sunday worship, this congregational worship that we're doing right now. If you have this attitude, if you have these things that you're adding into your own personal time and worship with God, it's for sure going to come through those two doors into the congregational worship on a Sunday morning. Possibly a community group as well or even a discipleship, discipleship group, or even a fellow brother or sister that you're one-on-one -on -one discipling. If we are tempted to mix in the idols and practices that we have in our private worship, how can we say then that this will not again affect how we sit under the preached word and interact with fellow Christians on a Sunday morning? We clearly see the effects that false worship, religious corruption, had on the nation of Israel and specifically the tribe of Dan. Each and every one of us has enough sin in our life. We carry enough sin in our life. How can we make sure that we are not making a practice of reading, praying, and singing contrary to what God's Word says we should? 
If I can for a second, I'd like to go back uh, in a little bit of church history here. I'm not, this is not a teaching lesson or anything, but I think that this is very applicable to today. So the teachings of Jesus and eventually the apostles, those teachings had to go somewhere, correct? This is referred to as traditions within the church. We hear about creeds, we hear about confessions, and the councils that were uh, together back um, after the teachings of the apostles had, had gone out. These happen throughout church history. The purpose for these, though, I want you guys to, to know this. I want you to understand this. The purpose of these traditions, they're there to help guard, they're there to help guide, and they're there to help preserve the teachings of Jesus Christ and the apostles. An example of this would be during the time of the Protestant Reformation. The reformers recognized that there was a deviation from the original teachings of the Bible. The Roman Catholic doctrine claimed, the Roman Catholic Church claimed that its doctrine was on the same level and equal to Scripture. The view that Scripture is the very Word of God was recovered by the reformers during that time. That's what we know as today as sola scriptura or Scripture alone. Now, with that being said, so our own private interpretations of God's Word just simply aren't enough. Anybody can sit there, read the Word of God, and think or feel what it is saying to them. It happens all the time. It can cause us to go outside of the boundaries of what the literal interpretation is. It could lead us and others astray. It is tradition, again, that helps to guard the truth of God's Word correctly and rightly interpreted interpreted from generation to generation. As you can clearly tell from today's text, uh, Israel's downward spiral just it continued. Uh, their rebellion against God has not slowed down, but only gotten worse. The sinful actions of one man, Micah, spread and had a long-term impact of an entire tribe. See, this type of worship was not uncommon in Old Covenant Israel. And unfortunately, they would continue to worship and serve false gods. God would continue to warn his people about the dangers of yielding to the influences of the false religions and practices. We fast forward to today. Listen, there's, there's over 4,200 religions worldwide. Among the major religions are Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. And that's just wave tops. Micah's worship of the Lord with his carved images, shrine, and the world views it today. They too have deceptively similar ethics and practices. This is what happens when a person or a nation does what is right in their own eyes. That's why it is so important in our own private and congregational practices of worship to know and follow God's word closely because it has been given to guide and protect us. To rid ourselves of man-made idols that infiltrate our, heart, infiltrate our hearts and to give us the hope to cling to the person and work of Jesus Christ who is our Savior and our King. Guys, please join me in prayer. Father, 
I thank you so much uh, again for your word. Lord, I pray that this would help us to uh, just look at our own private worship, our family worship, and how we worship here on a Sunday morning amongst the saints. Lord, it is uh, at first deceiving uh, for, uh, at first glance, to see that Micah is zealous, uh, but it doesn't take long for us to realize that he has brought in all of these sinful practices on top of his uh, worship towards the Lord. Lord, help us to not do that. Lord, help us to uh, worship you um, rightly, in truth, in spirit. Lord, help us to, in our private time, to not be distracted by the idols that we make in our own lives. Lord, help us to not be distracted in our time of worship with our families. Lord, help us to not make idols and bring them here on the conduct of a Sunday morning worship. God, I thank you for your word. I love you. It's in Christ's holy name I pray these things. Amen. And the music.